In today's episode of Board Game Impact, Bruce is going to talk about bias in reviewing. So stay tuned. Howdy, everybody. It's Bruce with Board Game Impact. And in this episode, it's going to be a little different. It's just me. Um, and that's wonderful. Um, but Josh is sorely missed, of course. Um, and so if this is your first time tuning into Board Game Impact, uh, we're a podcast in which we are bringing our educational lenses. Both Josh and I work full-time in higher education. Um, I also teach a couple of classes and I'm getting my PhD. Um, and so what we do is we take those educational lenses and apply them to the games and gaming experiences that we're playing and getting to enjoy um, sometimes um, and apply that to your benefit and your gaming group's benefit so you can make informed choices. And so if that sounds like something of interest to you, make sure to hit subscribe. But that being said, today's going to be a little different um, in that um, if you are listening to this live, you might be wondering, like, hey, I, th- I think we're a week behind. Where was the content? Um, and, but if you're listening to this in the future, the, there was a week gap. Um, and so what's going on in being fully transparent with everybody is um, Josh had his wedding anniversary um, and then we were supposed to record. Um, but then I actually got pretty sick, um, um, negative for COVID, um, but still got pretty sick, got tested. Um, but then as I was coming out of that, um, sadly, there was someone in my uh, family who passed away. Um, and so as you can imagine, kind of got pulled away for life things. And that's not um, an excuse or anything, but it's rather, I would just rather be transparent with you because I consider us to be um, colleagues in all of this. And I want you to know what's going on because what those things can affect us, right? Um, and I just want to say thank you for understanding because I did post about this over on the Patreon. Um, and, so, uh, and so if you ever want to like learn more or dig into things, you can always go over to the Patreon or also choose to support us over there. And I had posted about that. Um, but in all of this, obviously scheduling has been a little difficult, but Josh, and I are getting back to a schedule. Um, we're very much looking forward to that. And we're also looking forward to our semester's ending. Um, so we have even more freedom. Um, but that being said, in these like different times and not really knowing when family is going to need different things, there's a couple moments in which I got pretty just inspired by some conversations I was seeing online. And I thought it was a perfect opportunity to do something different that I haven't done before. Um, And that was combine the kind of work and kind of lenses. I know that sounds interesting based on the intro I just did, but really take like, let's go to the library and let's look stuff up and let's script something out and let's do an educational lesson from like my teaching side of things. Something I hadn't really considered before because uh, there's no content that looks like that. Um, and I did it and I put it out there to the world and immediately I got some really good feedback. Um, and I'm not going to go through like what inspired it because you're going to hear that in a second. Cause what this episode is today is it is, um, that first video. Um, so this one's going to be on what's called epistemology. So, um, what is knowledge, um, and unpacking that as well as a little bit about value. Um, but the reason I did this, I will tell you that, and I'm going to talk about it more in the upcoming minutes here in a second. Uh, but what happened was I was in a conversation over on the Secret Cabal Guild because um, Josh and I both listened to the Secret Cabal. We love their content. Um, and there was this interesting conversation about um, 
honestly a distrust of reviewers and um, not because people were distrusting the secret ball is actually because Jamie of the secret Cabal posted one video in which he really enjoyed a new game that came out and that's called Tellstones by riot games. And that's what the focus of the start of the video is going to be about. Um, but then also um, the next day, Tom Vassell came out with his own review and it couldn't have been more opposite. If anything, it was polar opposites one said they liked it the other one said it's not a game um and so this whole conversation ensued and i saw a perfect opportunity um to speak towards this of like well how are we viewing things and what what factors can affect the way we view a piece of content um what are our biases what are our latent different things um and so i really enjoyed making this um to the point of, and uh, so next week, um, you're going to get the second video I've now made in this, which has in the first, these last three days has just gone wild and crazy online. Um, so I make, make sure to tune in also for next week. And that's going to be about the Dune Imperium pre-order. Um, by far, it's the most views I've had on a YouTube piece of content and the conversations I've been able to have between this content you're about to listen to and the one you're going to get to listen to next week. Um, are the most engaging I've been able to have, uh, situations I've been able to have um, with some of the content we're putting out online, now podcast aside, right? Um, But it's just been super rewarding and super different for me personally. Um, And I also can't wait to unpack it with Josh and like talk more about it, which is probably what we're going to do in the upcoming episode. Um, But that's for the future um, to listen to. And so again, what you're going to be experiencing here in a second is um, the YouTube video, um, which is on how different board game reviewers can have different views on the same game. And that's all inspired about this game, Tellstones. Um, so if you want to watch that, you can do that. Go on over to the Board Game Impact YouTube channel um, and make sure to sit subscribe so you can get that content because I know you're already a subscriber here um, and because you're listening to this. And if you're not, click that subscribe button uh, because... We love just putting out content to help. Um, And we always end every episode with go make a positive impact on the world. And I personally, truthfully believe that doing this content um, has been bringing nothing but good things and good conversation into this board game space. And I cannot wait to do more. And so I encourage you to listen to this episode if you've liked any of our content in the past um, or any of this has sounded interesting. But just listen to it anyway and unpack and think for yourself of, well, how do I view things? Because um, I think this can really help you make better purchasing power as well as how do you consume better content? Because uh, at the end of it, I talk about um, three things you can do to get more out of reviews you listen to read and watch. Um, So I hope you enjoy this episode and next week I'll be posting the other one and then we'll be after that we'll be getting back to our regular schedule. So thank you for understanding and thank you for those who are reaching out and enjoy. Hey everybody, it's Bruce with Board Game Impact. So um, typically we're doing the podcast content or other types of content, but recently there's been some conversation online that I've been a part of and also been watching that I I thought I just want to weigh in based on some of the commentary that I've been seeing. Um, So if you're new to Board Game Impact, uh, we release a bi-weekly podcast for the last two years. It's myself and Josh um, talking about the gaming experiences that we're having and breaking those down for you and your gaming group. Um, But what what we bring to that though is our educational lens. So 
if you've listened to the show, you know I talked about this sometimes, um, but part of my work in education, so I teach full-time in leadership at a university um, in Texas, uh, but I also have been working for the past couple of years at completing a PhD, so I'm working on that in educational human resource development. So what that means is essentially organization consulting and how can we build up, unlock, and unleash the potential of individuals, groups, organizations, and the like. Um, so you want to talk about that, let's talk about that. But part of being in a PhD program and, and having a PhD, I'm getting there y'all, is essentially being able to be a researcher. And so with that, we take classes in what's called epistemology um, and digging into knowledge. And this is important because this little game, Telstones, has caused an uproar online. Uh, between different reviewers and uh, people watching those reviews and commenting on what is right, what is wrong. And so I wanted to share some perspective. Um, and this is actually coming out of some conversations that were had over on The Secret Cabal. So I have a avid listener to The Secret Cabal, support them every year on Kickstarter. Um, they do really great content. And so this last episode, um, it was two of them plus Rodney Smith of Watch It Played talking about everything that's going on. And so from that, I wanted to weigh in a little bit. So I was chatting and Rodney encouraged like, hey, I'd love to hear more about this epistemology thing. So what I'm doing is I'm actually, this video is to give you a crash course in epistemology for board gaming. But more importantly, let's just crash course through this. And then let's also talk about three things that you can do to unpack your views of reviewers and content and things like that. So that way you can get more out of it. So I'm gonna give you a crash course and then three things at the end uh, to leave you with to get you more empowered within your own board game content. But first of all, we gotta start with this little game and what's going on in case you hadn't seen all this yet. Um, so what is going on? is you have this little game hand it fits in my palm essentially uh this is by riot games so it's telstones it's honestly a little memory game and honestly a little bit of like social manipulation um and so with that being said riot games if you're not familiar with them they have the very popular league of legends a couple years ago they came out with the immensely popular and i really enjoy it mechs versus minions uh, which is a programming style game with also some unlock things the production value is off the charts um and this is the now second game from Riot Games in terms of board games. And so there was a lot of excitement about this of, oh my God, they're coming off of this big hit. What is this gonna be like? And it is not like the other, it's an abstract little game. Um, and for me, and I'm gonna talk about this more on the podcast, so if you wanna hear more about my thoughts on it, now that I've played it a couple times with my wife, I'll give you a crash course real fast though. Um, it reminds me sometimes of playing some games at the table with my grandfather in which we had little coins um, and would do some things. So I really look forward to using this um, with some other people in my life and having just that intimate two-player experience. But what's going on in terms of the review world is you had in, within two days, so there was a NDA on all of this and you, an embargo in which reviewers couldn't post content about this game until a certain date. A couple days after that, the secret cabal Jamie posted about it, compared it to Hive, said how much he loves it. Literally the next day, Tom Vassell posted from the Dice Tower, posted his review, and it couldn't be a more opposite thing. And ironically, they're both in the Dice Tower network. Um, and so how can we have this different thing? So for Jamie, it was like, this is great. It's I'm gonna play it with many others. Um, where Tom's like, this isn't a game, it's seven little hockey pucks that you have to memorize. And if you can memorize it better, then you're gonna win. 
Um, and so from an epistemological perspective, it's really important to dig into what's going on. So we're gonna dig into the core foundations and then really more into it. But then again, at the end, three things that you can do to get more out of your reviews. So first of all, how can reviewers have different views of the same game? In a nutshell, behavioral science. So the first thing I'm gonna to talk to you about is bias. Um, so we all have biases, they may come out in different ways, but I wanna just show you this. And that is, so if you have a cylinder, depending on where you tend to be viewing it from, you may either see a shadow of a square or a shadow of a circle. Now the problem with this is you might be saying, oh, it's absolutely a circle. Somebody else is saying it's absolutely a square. Well, the absolute part is the part that's, mm, kind of muddy, but both of you are coming at it thinking you're absolutely right. And you're, you are right from your perspective. The reality might be different. And so I always encourage you, whenever you're having any kind of disagreement, are we viewing things from the same paradigms? And so that's what we're going to get into now with epistemology um, and later axiology. So first of all, epistemology um, is Essentially, how do we know what we know? If you want a more definition, though, it's the investigation of what distinguishes justified belief from opinion. Um, some examples of this is truths and capital T truths. So absolute knowledge. Is there a absolute truth? And so for board games, is there an absolute truth whether or not a game is good? Um, or is it your relative truth or your group's relative truth? right? Or is that truth existing in time and place? So if we, if you talk to some people now, like Monopoly is, ooh, that's not good, right? But that, is that from a hobbyist perspective or is that from a gamer's perspective of like a new gamer who their only access is going to Walmart and that's the main games they have there. Luckily, they're adding some more, but still. Or is this back in the 1930s when there wasn't many other games, right? Um, and so is there an absolute truth? Is, is it ubiquitous across all things? Another example of this that I want to just talk about is the purpose of a rock. So if we had a rock, so imagine the game Tellstones is a, just a rock, just a gray rock. Well, a rock by itself doesn't mean anything, or does it? Doesn't tell you how to use it, doesn't tell you what it's for, it just exists. So how do we know that a rock could be used for XYZ? It could be used for a tool, right? To um, sharpen other tools, or it can even be a weapon. So how do we know what we know? Um, within that, then we got to dig a little bit further. So we're going to dig into some different paradigms of epistemology real fast. Um, so these different areas. So their first is positivism. Um, so within positivism, um, it's that objects have meaning prior to and independent of any awareness of them. So this game Tellstones always had a purpose before we ever gave purpose to it. I know that might seem weird, but that is a positivist perspective that this game had inherent purpose before we ever made it. It always existed. Um, so uh, there's this thing of like a chair. So a chair has always existed, right? So if we just have this natural occurring shape of a chair, what we know is a chair, it's always existed. And that its existence and purpose has been independent of whatever purpose we want to assign to it, which we'll get to that in a second, um, but it's been independent of our awareness of it being a thing. 
So the next part of that though is behaviorism. So behaviorism though is that knowledge exists in the world and it influences our behavior. So a chair, chairs exist and by having them, we sit in them. That would be a behaviorist perspective of these things exist and because they exist, they then influence us, right? Um, another lens though is that there's constructivism, uh, which is that Yes, chairs may exist, but we assign the value of it being a chair. It is just a structure. We then come together and we think of a purpose and we construct the meaning internally and then project that, share that with others. Um, so we then associate the word that we created, chair, with a structure and how to use it. So for a game, that can mean a lot of things. We then associate what this game is for us and then what its meaning therefore is. Where with the other ones, the meaning already existed. It has this kind of purpose, these kind of outcomes, independent of us. Or are we constructing our own meaning of what this game is and how it works and what it will do for a group of friends? With that last part, the group of friends, it's important to also know there's social constructivism, which also sometimes goes to social reinforcement theory, which is that we create knowledge as social beings together. So think of whenever you've been in a meeting and all of a sudden you come to an understanding together of what you're wanting to do. Um, so for this, does me playing it with my wife have a different outcome than me playing it with my niece? Probably, maybe. Therefore, does it have a different meaning because of the social constructs that are surrounding it and how we are creating the meaning between ourselves? So now a little bit more. Um, so now we're going to pivot to axiology. So that's a crash course in some epistemology things. Um, axiology from a different lens has to do with morals and aesthetics, but it's very important for this conversation. Morals are absolute goods, ends and means type things. Whereas aesthetics are things like taste um, and aesthetic experiences. So thinking like going to a museum, viewing a beautiful board game or a not beautiful board game, uh, where morals would be more of the, this game has these outcomes that are good, inherently good. Um, and it does that through these means. So the ultimate question for axiology is what people ought to like. And so there's a little bit that we have to dig into about what is good. Um, so with what is good, we have to understand that what might be good for one might be evil for another, right? So how do we associate what is good for us between what is good for others? And are we flawed in that bias of perspective? Because those cultural references and those undertones that, that lean into that. Um, then we also need to also dig into our senses. Um, our senses are like the computer that's in front of me. Um, so yes, we feel, right? But those are just neurological impulses and energy going to our brain to make sense of what's going on around us. Um, so our senses are the periphery that we are interpreting the world in. So a lot of, um, there's a really good book called Deviate about like neuroscience, um, essentially says that we are always in an RV camper, right? So Winnebago, let's say, driving around the world and all we can view the world is through the portholes that we have. Those portholes are our senses. 
taste, touch, smell, etc. And so some of us experience the things differently. We have different, we've seen different parts of the world. And so all we are doing though is consuming that from the information that we happen to get, happen to get. Um, so our senses in themselves are flawed. Um, so it, it's based on what we've seen, where we've been, and our associations then with other experiences we've had. Lastly, about the virtues we hold, and this is just important to note, and that I'm just going to quote directly. This is from an um, author named Noddings. Um, so some people, because of the positions they hold, have had opportunities to develop, to develop virtues and excellences that they see as highly prized. Others do not. A hierarchy of virtues tends to then induce and maintain a hierarchy of status and privilege. Many societies, therefore, have tried to justify that result by arguing either that certain virtues earn people or things the opportunity uh, to further those virtues and so forth. And those privileges accorded with the most virtues are compensating for the burdens they must assume for the rest of society. So what that's saying, in a sense, is because of privilege, we... Uh, some of us have been able to determine virtues that we see good above all else. And then it can, within that, create a hierarchy that then socially reinforces that these things are generally accepted to be what is good. When inherently, no, that's just us constructing um, what, what we have, right? Um, and so I encourage you, the thing that's with this is, one of the things was, well, is it a good experience for two people or is it just seven stones in a row, right? So it's us applying our privileges to our viewpoints um, and we need to unpack that. It's very important we do that, especially as we're wanting to grow and diversify the hobby because um, there's nothing but good things that can come from that. Um, so what can we do about it? So I'm going to crash course through this real fast. Um, one, engage more with the world. You have my permission for whatever that is worth. Think about the conversation we just had. Two, play more games with more people. Get more information in your head and experiences under your belt. Travel to different conventions. See how games play differently in different cultures. And ask about that. Engage with that. It's beautiful. Um, read, listen, and watch more board game content by Engaging with more content, you're going to have then more reference points to apply back to the world and to reflect on. The next thing is evaluating your own journey. The privileges of your experiences and the virtues that they that have informed them. Um, so with that being said, think about and unpack where you come from and what that means for the way you look at the world. Um, the next thing though, and this is from a different lens, it, but it's acknowledging and appreciating that you've changed. So your, your preferences in the hobby may have changed. Um, Lotto, again, talks about uh, from a relationship standpoint, when you're in a relationship with somebody else, uh, the things that once attracted us to somebody else cease to feel miraculous to us and become then the norm. They, in becoming the norm, it becomes expected. Um, the cost is that we no longer see a person or a thing in terms of the wonderful deviances or their uniqueness, but in terms of their normality. And in doing so, we risk taking them for granted or even worse. So those games that might have gotten us into the hobby, that, oh, that's just Catan. Like, it's vanilla, right? Um, and so I encourage us to think through that we weren't always in that perspective. So how do we hold on to that uniqueness and cherish those memories? And then lastly, examine your emotions. Um, so first of all, stress encourages us to focus in on the immediate. Um, so when we're stressed, we want 
instant return. Um, so if we're getting stressed then, um, and evaluating when we're watching content, when we're consuming content, and what's going on around us when we're consuming that, it'll influence the way we think about it and feel about it. So an example of this is stockbrokers have been shown by researchers to make really, really awful investing decisions right before lunch because their lizard brain is kicking in to say, hey, you're hungry, we need food, get these, get these things and so they tend to be more risky because their body is kicking into we need to get we need to get so let's get as good as we can get um, and then from another lens of happiness and this is just important to know about reviews in general um, and that is we are driven to pleasure at often the cost of our own well-being um, so within that the neuroscience shows us that the dopamine so the happiness centers of our brain actually releases when we anticipate a reward. So when watching a review and you're like, yeah, I wanna get that, it looks so much fun. I'm gonna get this box at the game store and I'm gonna do so much, so many good things with it. That release is like, man, it's awesome. It is phenomenal. The problem though is some research also shows that getting the reward doesn't trigger the same center of your brain. Um, and so with that being said, understanding that the promise of a reward and what it's doing for one reviewer might not do for you. It's no guarantee. So that's why you want to consume more content, be clear of mind, and make decisions that are for you, your context, your feelings, your emotions, the situations you're going to get to play them in, um, and so much more. Um, so I thought, I, I thought I'd make this video real fast just to kind of talk from this perspective. I hope that this has been helpful. We'll probably dig a little bit more into this in an upcoming podcast. But either way, just go out there, play games, have fun with people. And as we end every episode of the podcast, go out there and make your positive impact on the world. See you later.